Welcome to today's edition of Gory Story. The title of today's story is Soup's Up. Today we're going to be exploring the life of Maggie May. Maggie was born in a Midwest town to Floyd and Francis May. They lived a quiet life as farmhands living on the corner of a cotton field. Floyd was in charge of maintaining all the farm equipment on a daily basis. On the evening of Maggie's 10th birthday, her mother sent her out to fetch her father that had been called to the far corner of the field to unjam a harvester. Seems a gardening utensil that one of the hands left laying around had become jammed in the blade. Floyd had the driver crank the machine and engage the blade. Just as he reached in to remove the utensil, Maggie yelled for him, startling the driver. The driver accidentally engaged the drive and the tractor lunged forward, impelling the harvester prongs deep into the abdomen of Maggie's father. As she watched in horror, the driver from the machine running to Floyd. However, he had left the tractor running and moving slowly toward the wall with Maggie's father fighting to free himself. Maggie yelled for her father repeatedly. Just as her father's back hit the side of the barn, he yells for the driver, Get her out of here! The man picks Maggie up and runs with her, watching in horror as her father is pushed through the side of the barn as it collapses around him. She loses sight of her father as the dust from the imploding building takes hold of the evening sky. She squirms and wiggles, attempting to get free from the man. She begins beating at the man's back to let her go until they disappear over the field of cotton. Maggie stares blankly toward the cloud of dust where her father was last seen as the man describes the events to Maggie's mother. Her mother picked her up and ran inside, only to disappear in the same direction in which the dust had come from. Her mother returned to the house hours later with tears running down her face. Maggie runs out the door, hoping for good news. She approaches her mother, looking up into her face, praying for hope of her father's safe return. When suddenly, her mother's face took a turn. Her face of mourning quickly turned to an angry scowl directed at Maggie. This is all your fault, you little spoiled brat. If you had only taken a few seconds to not interrupt as you had been told multiple times, your father, my husband, would still be alive. Now what are we supposed to do? I don't know, Mama. I'm sorry. Please, I didn't mean to. I was only trying to do as you instructed. Don't you dare try to blame this on me, you little witch. Get to your room and don't come out. Maggie's mother went into a deep depression after the funeral. The farmer, after a month, had no choice but to evict them. They were forced to live in government housing located on the edge of town. During this entire time, Maggie hadn't spoken a word since the accident due to the fact that every time she opened her mouth to speak, her mother would raise her hand. If one sound came out of Maggie's mouth, it would be followed by a slap of the lady that once treated her so kind. How could this be the same lady who brushed my hair for hours after a day of work on the porch as she coached me through an entire hour of catching fireflies? By the way her mother is treating her now, it's as if Maggie herself had driven the tractor that killed her father and left her mother alone. This treatment continued all through Maggie's teenage years. Day and night she cared for her mother, as her mother would squirm each time that Maggie would run a comb through her hair. Her mother finally attempted to commit suicide by using the pills that was given to her by the local clinic. On the evening of her parents' would-be wedding anniversary, Maggie's mother finally succeeded in one of the attempts. Maggie returned to her mother's room to find a note scribbled lying neatly on the pillow next to Miss May. Maggie opened the letter hoping to find some apology or explanation for the way that her mother had treated her since that dreadful day that they both lost her father. However, the only legible words that she could make out was hate wish and not born. Maggie suddenly realized that her remorse for the loss of her mother soon turned into relief. Relieved she would no longer be looked upon by the face full of anger and hate. Maggie runs out the door and down the street to a phone booth and notifies the authorities. The officer for the court took Maggie to a temporary foster home. 
It was an odd atmosphere to Maggie. People were actually smiling and happy to see one another. The lady took Maggie in for a bath and she began to comb her hair as Maggie lay in the tub. She began to tell Maggie about the school she would be attending and described the rules of the house, including curfew. Maggie never spoke a word. She only nodded and smiled as the soft-spoken lady described her life. She had high hopes for her new life, but in the back of her mind, she knew it could change in a swift moment. And it did. Only two days after being left with the foster family, the officer of the court came back to the home and instructed Maggie to pack her things as they had found that her father had a brother in Illinois. Maggie was full of excitement about meeting other family members, although she didn't recall her father mentioning anything about a brother. Surely, if it was my kind, sweet, loying father's brother, then he must be at least somewhat as kind. Maggie is finishing her schoolwork as a voice from the drive calls out, Maggie, could you come out here, please? Maggie runs to the door and notices a tall, handsome, resembling his father standing in the drive, looking very polished and proper. Not like her father, as he was always greasy and nails as black as night. However, those eyes were undeniable. He was definitely her uncle. He instructed her to gather her things as he opened the trunk of the station wagon, preparing for their trip to Illinois. Suddenly, excited about what might lie ahead, she dreamed of maids, fancy dresses, ballroom dances. She had only heard stories of such lifestyles. Could this actually be the life she would have now? They pulled into the long drive. Apple trees all on the sides, just like the picture. The cars come to a stop just under the awning. Her uncle gets out of the car, opens the door. Grab your things and I will show you to your room. They walk into the house, and he points up the giant stairway. You will be upstairs in the room next to mine. Here, let me show you. I don't want you wandering around aimlessly up there. He takes her to the room she would now call home. As he walks out of the room, he instructed her to be downstairs in 20 minutes for dinner. She puts her things and starts down the stairs. She walks into the kitchen to find a man standing at the table. However, there's no food prepared. He instructs her to sit at the table with him. Take a look out the window there, Maggie, he says. There are several people in the field working. We all do our part around this house. The boys do the work in the field, I do the finances, and your aunt is often overwhelmed with her chores. This is where you come in. It will be your responsibility to cook and clean the kitchen. You will also be in charge of laundry for the entire house. You will start these chores as soon as your schooling has ended each day. These chores must be completed daily before we can start a new day. It is a well-oiled machine and must remain in tip-top order. You understand, young lady? She nods yes to the man. He slaps her across the face. You answer me when I'm talking to you, young lady. Yes, sir, she whimpers. She heads off to the room when he stops her. Where do you think you're going? We just had this discussion about the chores. Get to it, young lady, as he points to the stove. Maggie looks through the items in the cooler and begins making meatloaf and mashed potatoes with a side of broccoli. The family eats their dinner and heads off to the living room. Maggie follows, wiping her hands on a dish towel. The uncle looks at her and points to the kitchen. You're not done, young lady. She works way into the night cleaning all the dishes from the 12 people living in the house. She thinks to herself how she wished that she had not found her uncle and she could have stayed at the foster parents. She then thinks back to her mother and compares which life would be worse. It takes her several hours to complete the task and prepare for breakfast in the morning. She tiptoes through the house, thinking she didn't want to wake anyone. It felt so awkward roaming the halls in a strange house. She reached her room and finally lay down in the bed. She dozes off to sleep when suddenly something touches her from the darkness. She screams and a hand claps over her mouth. Shh! Don't scream! 
The hand slowly moves away from her mouth. Her eyes adjust to the darkness. She makes out that it's her oldest cousin standing over her. He pushes his lips into her. She moans as he pushes into her. He runs his hands down her back. She feels scared and has noticed a strange sensation she has never felt before. He reaches his hand under her blouse. She pushes him away. He stands suddenly yelling. She doesn't understand until the lights pop on and her uncle is standing with the boy with his hair. He slaps a leather strap against the boy. He cries out in pain as the father directs him to his room. He looks down at Maggie with disdain and slaps her across the face. Don't you tempt my boys with your evil. He pulls at the girl's clothes. I will get this evil out of you. You want to tempt people? I'll show you how evil temptation can be. Maggie, feeling sick at her stomach, turns her head and vomits. Maggie suddenly remembers the feeling of relief she had felt when her mother had finally passed away. And thinks hard about how relieved she would also be when this monster of a man would leave Earth. She reaches on the table next to her and fumbles for anything to get him off of her. She opens the drawer and feels around. She pulls out a letter opener and stabs him in the back. He rolls over and gets a top and repeatedly ram the knife into her uncle looking for the last breath he would never take. She suddenly realizes what she's done. She thinks back to the time that her father died, and although she had nothing to do with it, her mother blamed her for all her life. This time, it was her hands. She went to a trunk located at the foot of the bed. She pulled out fresh linens and pillows. She wrapped the uncle and ones already messed up on the bed and dragged him to the kitchen. For the next several days, no one even mentioned the uncle to Maggie. Well, no one really even talked to Maggie at all. She got up each morning, cooked breakfast for the family, did her schooling, and then served dinner and cleaned up afterwards. After the fourth night that her uncle had left her room in the sheets, her oldest cousin came back into the room while she was sleeping. He woke up placing his hands over her mouth again and cried out before remembering the feeling that had welled up inside her the first time he had intruded. She reached for him and kissed his lips in the same manner he had done to her in the previous encounter. However, she soon became uncomfortable with the savage way he began treating her. He soon lost his childish passion and replaced it with caveman-like behavior. She pushed him away, but he advanced further. Maggie, now being relieved when anyone that mistreats her stops breathing, reached for the knife she had earlier prepared for just under the mattress where they lay. She thrust the blade deep inside her cousin. She sits above him, looking in his eyes, waiting for the last breath. When suddenly, his chest stops moving up and down. She wraps him in the sheets and drags him also to the kitchen. The next day, she prepared the meals as she had done every day. She cleaned the laundry. She even completed her schoolwork. The next morning, she awakens to people standing in her room. She pulls the cover up to her chin in embarrassment. A voice from one of the men yells out, Step back, people! Ushers them back to the door. He looks at Maggie and instructs her to get dressed and that she would have to come with him. She quickly feels relieved that she may get to go back to the foster family that had been so kind to her. He leads her to the cellar below the kitchen and opens the door. Flies are swarming vigorously overhead. Can you explain this, ma'am? He asks. She looks into the cellar and explains that she was instructed by her uncle to prepare food and do laundry, no questions asked, and that this food was hanging in here, so she cooked it and fed it to the family. The officer points to the meat cut away from the corpse hanging in the closet. So the family ate it, he said? Oh yes, they devoured it. He turns the carved meat around to reveal the sagging face of her uncle that had been missing for weeks. It was the only meat hanging in the freezer, she said. 
Maggie spends the next years of her life in the institution ward. They treat her daily, they give her drugs, and she sits calmly staring out the window, waiting for the day that she can go back to the foster family that had treated her so kind. Will that day ever come? We'll have to wait and see. Thank you.